This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com slash donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes for all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Crash by Cheryl Diane Kidder and Ten Solid Years of Devoted Service and Commitment by Shane Graber. Crash, written by Cheryl Diane Kidder, read by Anne Rushton. Listening time, six minutes. Crash. 3 a.m. phone rings, so I pick it up. What do I know? I'm in some dream or other. All I can think is, don't wake the baby. So I pick it up, you know. It's a man's voice, a nice voice, and I'm not altogether there yet. And he sort of says, hey. So I say, hey. And he goes, you sleeping? And of course I say, no, uh uh-uh, wanting to be polite. He seems to know me. Doesn't ask my name or tell me his. What would you think? And I'm really in no mood to wake up or have an argument. Then he says, what are you wearing? Okay, I'm slow, but I'm getting it, all right? Because right about then I swing my legs out of the covers, lift the phone out of my rat's nest of bed hair, and tell him, hang on. And I go into the kitchen so the baby won't hear my voice, but I don't turn any lights on. And I look at the clock in the VCR, and yep, it's 3.10, and all the windows are open, and it's still my apartment up on the hill, and I can see the lights of the radio and the TV tower, which is rare, because there's usually fog everywhere. So I sit down in the kitchen chair facing the window and tell him, My white ninety. And he makes a funny sound on the phone, like he's eating something or wiping his mouth, and I'm getting my eyes focused on the twinkling outside and my butt's tingling on the cold vinyl of the kitchen chair. I stretch my legs out under the table, wondering what he'll say next. His voice is soothing and sad at the same time. Not like the guy who called a couple months ago, loud and mean and demanding. I hung right up on him. I get enough of that shit at work. Do this and do that and telling me all the shit I could do for him. I don't need that. And he says, I'd love to see you right now. And I have to laugh at that one because it's so innocent and so not seductive at all, knowing what I look like right now. Then I hear the baby whimper in her sleep and I tone it down a little and start whispering to him. I say, No, you don't really, not now. Maybe after a shower and some makeup. Then he laughs, and it sounds like kind of a purr in my ear, which makes me groan a little involuntarily, knowing that we don't even know each other, but he's generous enough to share a laugh to let me see that far into him. I'm surprised by this. So I say, what are you up to? And he says, just got in from work. And I ask him, what do you do? And he says, just as easy as can be. Come on, you know what I do, baby. Well, I have to laugh again. 
I say something like right, but he's already saying, bad night, nobody out in a weeknight. Only picked up 75 in tips. So I say, 75's not bad. He goes, 75? You know I usually pull in a couple hundred on a good night. And his voice goes all pouty, and I'm getting it that he does think he knows me, and he thinks I know him. And I'm suddenly really sad and not wanting him to stop talking in my ear. So I'm holding my breath and wondering if he gets what I just got, and I can see the lights of this big passenger jet just passing over the hill straight out my window. It moves real slow like it doesn't want to land, but all the lights are blinking on it like crazy, getting ready to land, and I can't take my eyes off of it. I'm suddenly afraid it's going to crash right in front of me, right into that mountain, not see those radio lights skid down a cliff face and collapse in a roaring ball of fire and burning bodies when he says, So can I come over? And without even thinking, I say, Sure, why not? Throwing caution to the wind, knowing the end of this story, and already curling my toes, thinking about getting under the covers, imagining him driving to whoever he thinks he's talking to as I drift back to sleep to the rhythm of the baby's breathing when he says, So where do you live? And I get this big gulp in my throat at the same time that passenger jet glides safely and smoothly over the mountain and out of my vision, and my eyes drop back down to the kitchen table, up to the curtains, over to the coffee maker, carpet, the recliner, the bookshelf. I say, what? And he says, give me your address, I'll be right over. And that low voice full of confidence, like he knows what I'm thinking and knows that's just what he's thinking too. And I say, 3350 Maple Circle, apartment 4. And I take in a breath to see if he'll hang up, but he says, What's your name? And I have to laugh. I tell him, Maggie, and ask him, What's yours? And he tells me, Jeff. And the night gets a little lighter, and all the dishes seem to be floating. And when we hang up, I can still hear his voice in my head. And I know he's the perfect man for me. The end. Cheryl Diane Kidder's work has appeared in several literary magazines, a couple of anthologies, and she's been nominated for a Pushcart Prize twice. For a full listing, see CherylDKidder.blogspot.com. Crash was named the winner of the Watercrest Review's first annual flash fiction competition in January 2013. Read the story online at thewatercrestjournal.com. Ten Solid Years of Devoted Service and Commitment Written by Shane Graber Read by Justin Harkin Listening Time, 13 minutes, 45 seconds Ten Solid Years of Devoted Service and Commitment By Shane Graber Later out with his girls, Gary will push the serpent turf because that's the best on the menu, even though the place is known for prime rib. Other than his golf tournament for Boys Haven, this is his office's big event. He reserved the banquet room three months ago, too earlier than the restaurant needed. He puts on his new charcoal suit with pinstripes. The department store lady suggested a dull and dark tie to go with it. But Gary picked bright green, full price too. Before he gets to the restaurant, he'll put it in his pocket in case he drips garlic butter. At his morning stop for coffee, he motions for a refill. To go? 
Nah, taking my time today. What's in the box? Employee appreciation tonight for one of my girls. Tires crunch the gravel lot as he drives past his reserved space. When Sandy was carrying, he insisted she take it. After the difficult delivery, he just couldn't say, Okay, time to park with the rest of them. She hands Gary the morning paper. New ad ran. Good, let's see. Proudly representing. Mm-hmm. We're one of, one of, premier title companies in Jefferson County, residential and commercial, providing customers unparalleled. Unparalleled. That was Michelle's idea. He pulls reading glasses from his inside coat pocket to check if anyone's eyes are closed in the photo. Under the outdoor sign, beaming smiles against the sun, Gary's six girls surround him and pretend the gnats aren't making their noses twitch. Why don't you call the paper, see if they'll sell me a color print. Put it up in the lobby. Michelle walks through with a stack of paperwork she always carries. Sure it won't distract from the picture of your steer? Gary stepped up when the county judge's boy needed a steer sponsored in the livestock show. Hell, thing won first. Why shouldn't I put it on the wall? Support your community. That's just good business. Between good and business, Michelle turns the corner at the end of the hall. Wait until she sees her gift, Gary thinks. Ten years ago, in his first office by the courthouse, Gary got more business than he could handle. He moved next to the interstate for more room and visibility. That's when he took Michelle on to help. She was taking night classes at the community college and could work a better spreadsheet than Gary. Maybe three months in, Michelle's first staff appreciation night, she and Gary were the last to leave. They lasted 18 months. Then Gary came home from a fishing trip on Sabine Lake and bumped his thigh on Michelle's open, empty drawer. Despite the breakup, she stayed on, and all things considered, the office atmosphere stayed positive. The other girls still adore her. On their birthday, she brings homemade red velvet cake. She has her own desk with two philodendrons down to the floor. Gary's girls say they're going to go home first to change. Getting cleaned up? Figured I'd go early to the bar and get liquored up. Oh, Gary. Papa Doo's lot fills early on Fridays, but Gary manages to get a spot up front. The lamp above his car is lit even though it's day. Gary tugs his Windsor undone, opens the flap of his suit jacket, and stuffs the tie in his pocket. His friend JP is behind the bar. By the time Gary finishes his third beer, the clock still hasn't hit five. The girls walk in, and Gary fakes a surprised look. Sandy mouths along with Gary as he delivers his annual line. Blew all that makeup on me? Michelle, the only one with her significant, hooks a forefinger to her husband Monty's belt loop. Since they married, Gary met him just once before at the golf tournament. They slap hands together and shake. I can only stay for dinner. Gotta be up early. You stay as long as you want, friend, just as long as you want. Gary orders lobster and steak all around. After the waiter leaves, Michelle follows him out and changes her order to the Caesar. She always feels fatter in winter. Gary used to tell her not to worry about her weight. You let me watch your waistline. 
Barely seven and Gary's half in the bag. They haven't even brought out the little corn muffins everyone loves. The waiter brings around a fruity shots that Sandy suggested. Gary had ordered a shot of Jack. He clinks glasses with the girls in reach, then sucks a splash of whiskey off his thumb. He taps his class ring on a wine glass, then takes a sip to get the clang right. You're all fired. <laughs> nah, nah, take it easy. I'm kidding. Hey, no, seriously. Everybody, listen up. He calls Michelle to stand next to him. The girls pull her arm to get her moving. Ten years ago, you joined our happy little family here. And, as we all know, you're as big a part of this operation as anyone. Maybe because of all the Krispy Kremes. No, 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 I'm kidding. In all seriousness. We love you, Michelle. Oh. So here. Gary underhands the box, and Michelle catches it against her shoulder. Just a little... A token of our appreciation. What is it? A pony! Open it! Michelle! 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 She sets the box on the table and twists it a half turn. She means to save the paper, but Gary snatches it and rips it open. She brings the box close to her chest before creaking it open. What is this? What is this? It's a watch. Not just a watch. Look at that thing. Neck stretched, Sandy stops herself from reaching out and touching the timepiece. Holy shit, Michelle. They gave my dad one when he retired at the refinery. Worked there forever. Thing costs more than my car. Gary claps his hands together. That watch right there? Best money can buy. While Michelle holds it, Gary unclasps the band. Monty slides his hand across the small of her back to pinch a tiny swatch of blouse. She turns to him while Gary, tongue lip-wedged in focus, slips the watch on her wrist. Gary, what did you do? Something, huh? Good Lord, it's so heavy. Ah, you deserve it. What do you say, girls? Give her a hand. They clap, out of sync and slowly, crowding in for a better look. Gary tries to make his smile seem between admirers. Lorraine, whom Gary makes sure feels like family, she's the only black woman in the office, stands to sing a Muzak version of an Otis Redding song. She uses her butter knife as a microphone. The girls join in, and customers from the main dining room try not to stare. Gary stamps out his cigarette in a butter dollop. When the girls start another song, he slips out of the room and moves to the bar. He slaps the back of J.P.'s crisp shirt. Should have seen the look on her face. The night was going exactly like Gary expected, and they still had hours of fun left. He plans on suggesting the party move to Wranglers for more drinks and dancing. Gary considers himself quite the two-stepper. Hey, where are y'all going? Michelle and her watch make for the door. Walking Monty to the car. Past my bedtime, thanks for the eats. Sure, sure, you all right to drive? Nothing but iced teas for me. 
Sandy's lips scraped Gary's cheek. He didn't see her kiss coming. Gotta get home. Thanks for everything. Okay, baby girl, we'll fill you in on Monday on who got drunkest. At the door, Sandy smiles to Michelle and says she likes her watch. Michelle half sits on a stool too down from Gary and swivels to face him. What on earth are you doing? Gary looks forward. Your 10th anniversary. What's the big deal? I can't keep this. She faces the bar, her hair concealing half her face. I'm sorry, it's beautiful, but... The watch sways heavily from her forefinger as she moves it toward Gary. He puts his hands under the bar, inaccessible. Hell I will. That's yours. A month after that first night, Gary and Michelle ate at the Booster Club's crawfish boil next to the softball complex. They offered crawfish by the pound or a wristband for the bottomless platter that included new potatoes and corn on the cob. Michelle insisted that she wasn't hungry, but Gary plunked down for two wristbands anyway. Just in case. Never know. Gary. They sat at the end of a paper-covered table with Gary's VFW friends. Michelle peeled Gary's crawfish. I like doing it. When she went to the beer booth for another round, Gary leaned back. He smiled like he won the drawing for the jet ski. The tip of her fingernail clicks when she draws it across the watch's tight metal links, silver and gold, silver and gold. Well, I'm not going to wear it until I get it adjusted. It'll slide right off. She slides the watch into her coat pocket and holds her hand there. From the back of the restaurant comes a storm of laughs, then singing builds. Everyone turns to watch the girls moving into the bar. Steph from accounting leads and lands next to Michelle. All right, Miss Fancy Watch, we are out of here. Gary stands, pushes his stool in with one foot and stretches. I thought we'd hang out a little longer than head the Wranglers. Steph hooks her arm through Michelle's and slides her off the stool. Oh no, girl time. Not often we get her out with the old man hanging around. Gary scans the room for JP so he can hurry and settle his tab. Who the hell made Steph spokesman, he thinks. She presses his shoulder and he sits back down. But thanks for dinner. Oh my god, it was so good. The rest of the girls join in on the thank yous. Then, like that, they're gone. Papadou's locked up half an hour ago, but J.P. tells Gary he can stay and finish his drink. Low to the bar, his face inches away from his cutty sark. He sips through the stirrer without lifting the glass. One leg bounces. J.P. brings the bill. Gary reaches his thick hand into his inside coat pocket and jerks his glasses out. He fumbles with the pen J.P. offers. How'd it go? What do you mean? The watch. Did she like it? It was a work gift. It's her 10th anniversary. Why is it such a big deal? It's not. I was just asking. Gary double-checks the receipt in better light, moving it in and out, trying to calculate whether J.P. really knocked that much off the tab. Shit, J.P. Forget it. Get home safe. Gary throws up one arm to say bye, 
and his back facing the bar, slaps open the glass door. His truck door creaks even though he has two years left on the lease. Key in the ignition, Gary looks up at the world's last parking lot lamp. Girls night out. Fine. Rather not listen to their hen pecking. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take my ass to Wranglers anyway, buy some other ladies' drinks, spin them around the dance floor. About to drop the truck into gear, he looks up and sees how the lamps glow, far up in the sky and without border, is bound to darkness, majestic and all alone. What a thing to notice. If he'd been this alert when he took his glasses from his inside pocket, he might have seen his new, full-price green necktie slip out and land in a spot under the bar that the mops miss. Shane Graber, a born and raised Texan, lives and teaches English in Chicago. His short stories, which focus on earnest people almost succeeding, have appeared online and in print. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by a grant from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.